The subject today is from Luke 2, and it's um, a saviour is born, which is, of course, um, maybe a subject that we're more uh, familiar with at uh, the end of the year. Not that it should be like that. Unfortunately, I didn't hear the the previous um, messages that went out the last two weeks, so I hope I don't overlap too much. But uh, it's good, really, I think, sometimes just to look at the birth of Christ and to apply that in the middle of the year, (laughs) Uh, to apply it, the understanding and the appreciation of what it all meant. I wonder if we could just turn to Luke 2. I don't intend to read the whole section. Um, There's two sections that have been given. One is, it's Luke 2, 1 to 20. And then Luke 3, which gives the the genealogy, uh, which I'll refer to rather than than read. Because that's verses 23 to 38. So let's just read the first seven verses of uh, Luke 2 just to refresh our memories a bit. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria and all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. Very familiar passage. Um, You can almost um, recite it um, yourself. One of the things I often find that uh, in studying the word, that there are many passages in scripture, particularly in the Gospels, that are so well known that you tend not to read them. <laughs> um, you tend to think, skim over them because you know them and you've heard so many people talking about them and particularly maybe the Christmas story, <laughs> which it becomes known as. I think there are many things in this that what the Lord wants us to do, of course, is to meditate on them. It's just like so much that we read, in the, particularly in the Gospels, where you are given snippets of information. And sometimes you, you're left wondering, what are you meant to do with that? Is it just something that's just a passing on of knowledge, passing on of a particular uh, truth? And it's just a fact. And that's all it is. When we start in this chapter, it's about uh, the, the timing and the setting. And the, it's 
a particular time. And the question you, I think we should be asking ourselves is, why did God choose that time? What was specific about that time? God doesn't do things just by chance. He doesn't, he's not somebody like us who might just think, oh, now's as good a time as any, or um, I've waited long enough, we better get this uh, program started. He did it because he always has a reason. So when we, we read this and you, you read about it at the time of the powerful Roman uh, Empire that was uh, in vogue at the time, God chose to come then. He came, he chose to, to send his son into the earth at a time when the Roman Empire was at its most powerful. If you read in the history books, actually, at that time, it had extended. It's known as the, as the inhabited earth, it says in my Bible, or the known world. And it went from here, from Britain, right away through into Persia and into Iran. And it was all governed by the Roman Empire, by Caesar. They didn't seem to be that interested elsewhere in the world that we know today, the whole world, because in Africa they tended to think that they were tribal um, it was, and there wasn't enough a lot to be gained from going down that area. They didn't know about the Americas. So it was the known inhabited world that they controlled. And it was, it was controlled by a rod of iron. Caesar was a very powerful man and he was evil. And what the Romans, you read about what the Romans did in history to subjugate uh, all the nations around them is quite horrific. He came to the point too when he decided that his power was so great that he wanted it to be numbered. And in the numbering of his power and his people, he wanted his empire. He wanted to know how great it was. And so this decree came out. And in this area, of course, it was, uh, it was governed by Quirinius, who was the governor of what was known as Syria at that time, which included Palestine, which included the people of Israel, the Jews. And so that decree came out. And here you've got the powerful uh, dic dictator in Rome dictating to everybody that they must register and come under his power and to be seen to be under the power. You think, why did God choose that time? It's, I wonder whether, and again, a lot of what I'm saying is I'm asking you really just to go away and meditate on it and think yourself, why, what is God's purposes? And why did he do these things at that time? <clears throat> you can link it quite, quite closely to the slavery in Egypt, where you had a, a similar setup where you've got Pharaoh in control and uh, the, the Jews are subject, and Moses was the redeemer that God raised up to set the people free. 
So you can see a, a, a bit of a shadow there of what's happening here. Only this is way number of steps higher. The Lord Jesus Christ comes and it comes at this time, at that particular point when the Jewish people are subject. They do not control their own destiny. They have uh, a powerful people um, subjugating them and they can't even apply the law of Moses properly because Roman rule overtook that. And they had to ask permission to uh, apply Roman law, uh, to apply the law of Moses. So that was just how subjugated they were. You have this situation where Joseph is having to travel to go to the place Bethlehem because he was of the lineage of David. And of course, this is prophecy coming to pass um, because in the Old Testament, there are many scriptures that refer to the fact that the Messiah would come from the line of David. In the chapter 3, if you follow uh, Luke, uh, Luke's version of the genealogy, you get um, you get it from Mary's side, and in Matthew you get it from Joseph's side. Um, there's just there's one area which is quite difficult to explain, and that is that in in Luke chapter three, when it talks about uh, In verse 23, that when Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being supposedly the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, actually Eli was the father of Mary. Now, I don't really know, I can't really explain why it's here like that, because if you read it in Matthew, uh, it quite tells you that Joseph's father was called Jacob. So whether it was just a, a quirk of the, the, the way things were done then, that everything went through the, the father and the, the woman um, for some reason was um, not regarded. Uh, but if you follow this line, this takes, uh, takes you to Nathan, the son of David, whereas Matthew takes you to Solomon, the son of David. So you've got the two lines. but. The main thing I think to pick up from this is it's definitely from David that both the father and the mother, that Joseph, who was not his proper father, but uh, his lineage came through the, the kingship of uh, Solomon and the kings thereafter, whereas um, Mary lineage came down, as we read, as you read here in Luke chapter 3, came through Nathan. But it's all from David, and again, um, here you have these two people together who Joseph has been told by the, the Lord, God himself, through an angel, to take Mary as his wife, although she was pregnant. And uh, they were only engaged in the Jewish betrothal period. It came together because she was with child of the Holy Spirit. And they're coming down to Bethlehem to register because that is of the line of David and that is the place 
where um, Bethlehem is known as the, uh, the city of bread. It's a, it's a place where, again, if you read into it, that Bethlehem is the house of bread, or the, the town of bread, or the city of bread. Um, it's appropriate, of course, that, uh, that him who is the bread of life should be born in Bethlehem. And that's the connection, of course. The, um, the place where, it, again, it's, it was always decreed that when, when, even when the wise men came and they, they asked, you know, where is the place where the Lord would be, would be uh, born? Uh, they were told to go to Bethlehem because that's what the Old Testament had prophesied. And that's why they went there to find him. The enrolling um, that was being done, um, again, the link, I thought, which I thought was quite, is quite interesting, is that they came to an inn. An inn is a place of welcome. It's a place where people are all welcome. Um, it's a place open, open doors. Whoever wants to can come in. And so there's a picture of the Lord in this, is that all are welcome to come to him. But when he came to the inn, there was no room. So there's a contrast there as well. You could pick up on the inn doesn't speak of Christ because there was no room. And when it comes to anybody coming to Christ, there's always room. So there's a contrast there. But the similarly is uh, the fact that it is a place of welcome. They had to, or they ended up going to a stable. So it's the outside place. And of course, you can pick up on that again, is why was that happening? Is that the, you picking on the Lord Jesus Christ was always rejected. And he ended up in the outside place in his death. He was always rejected by men. And right from his birth, you're getting that God is showing this picture of the rejection. Here's a place of welcome, the inn. And surely if he'd had money, they would have found a place for him. Here's a woman who's pregnant, about to give birth, and they can't find a place for him. It's, it's bad. <laughs> it's uh, odd. And it speaks again of the rejection of Christ. When the baby is born, and the baby is put in a manger, in a feeding trough. What's significant about that? And, you know, sometimes you can maybe spend a lot of time scratching around almost looking for signs. Looking for what? But, as I said at the beginning, God does nothing without reason. And this setup is done for a purpose. Just think, we've been thinking a lot lately about royalty uh, because of the wedding recently. And if you take somebody uh, like the Queen and you look at where she lives, and I'm not sure where she lives, but I mean Buckingham Palace or Windsor or Sandringham or Balmoral. I don't know, if you put all these places that she owns and the land that she owns. I don't know how many families you could 
put up in it. I'm sounding like Lenin now, aren't I? I mean, <laughs> communist. Uh, there's a, a, something very strange about the, the um, imbalance of wealth. And of course, when you, again, when you're picturing the Son of God and trying to picture what he gave up, what he left behind, which is way, way beyond comparison of Buckingham Palace or Balmoral or whatever, all put together. Uh, he gave all that up, but his, the decision was that he would be born in a stable. Now, what was he trying to get, I say trying, what was he putting across here? It's the understanding that he is rejected of men, he's in the outside place, he's got no interest in the riches of this world and he is being born and he chose a woman not because of her wealth but because of her righteousness because of her purity and he chose that her for that reason and he also chose her for her poverty and I think you know that People today, and it's one of the difficulties that we have in Western society, is that we are too wealthy. We are too well off. We've been rejoicing this morning at the at the um, news planting in Mozambique. It's it's very interesting when you just look at where the Lord is working at the moment in amongst churches of God, and having had the privilege of being out there recently for a few days and just seeing how people live in Malawi and obviously seeing pictures of uh, Kenya and, and Zimbabwe and now Mozambique. These people are poor. They are poor by their own standards in the, their own country. They are very poor in comparison to ours. And we think the Lord is working there. Why? because they don't have the trappings of wealth. They are not being sidetracked by um, concern over money or wealth or career that we get distracted from. And the result seems to be that the Lord is blessing their commitment to his word in their poverty because they put God first. It's just a, a thought really that all of us need to we've thought about it before and it's a difficult one to maybe appreciate and understand what we can do about it and uh, because when you're born in a particular area it's just a natural thing for you to grow up and be like that and uh, just to follow your peers but there comes a point when you're making a decision that you're not putting God first that's when you're dishonouring God and that's where we have to be careful and I think that's um what we need to keep asking ourselves is that what, what are we putting God first or is he second or third in line with other priorities Mary gave birth to the Lord who was the firstborn again it's a lovely picture of a virgin giving birth uh, and all the, the miraculous uh, connotations that are aligned to that uh, that he came from a virgin and that is a pure he was the only um, human and I call him that he's a man or of, of mankind who was born sinless without sin 
from a virgin woman. That is important, I think, to just meditate on again, is just in appreciating the, the, the perfection and the holiness of Christ. We never lose track of that. He was a man and he came into this world in the same way as all of us have. Uh, in that respect, he is purely, he is totally man, but he is without sin. He is totally God. He never stopped being God. And it's very harder for us to, again, to try and weigh that up and understand it and appreciate it, that we have to see them both. God as man and God as God. Jesus is man and Jesus is God, son of God. Um, these things are difficult to put together, but we have to, because that's fact. He came... He was born, and it says he was wrapped. Again, I don't know what you would have thought of thinking about wrapping. Again, you can think about these things as being natural. <laughs> a baby is born um, naked, of course. Um, you want to, the baby's been warm in the womb for a while, and uh, the natural thing is to wrap the baby up to keep it warm. It's also what they did with dead bodies. The Lord Jesus was wrapped when he died. He was uh, bound. Is there a significance that he comes into the world and he's wrapped and that there's a, a binding and that there's a, a need, that there's a, a, a human reliance that he's gone from being the God of heaven to being somebody who has to be wrapped to keep warm, to be protected, totally helpless. That is something, again, you know, when, when we come to, particularly to remembrance and we're giving in our thanksgiving, that, that you've probably heard that it comes out in our thanksgiving a lot, these thoughts about just picturing the wrapping and the helplessness of, of the baby. The same when he went into death. He subjected himself to death. That he was wrapped and put in a tomb. Almost as if he had no control. But this was all in the mind and the will of God. And the, the, the significance, I think, about the disciples and the, the, the woman coming to the tomb and they see the wrappings. They make a, an issue, the wrappings are there, put aside. And there's a taking off of them. And it's a bit, I think, of the, it's the worldliness. He took on at birth the wrappings of humanity and subjected himself to this world. In his death, he did the same. In his resurrection, he took them off. No more subject to the things of this world. He only did it for a time in order to free us from our slavery of sin. When we come to the, shep the shepherds, um, 
Again, it's, it's interesting to think why the shepherds. I mean, we, we do have the stories that come out at Christmas, of course, but focusing on the shepherds because the angels came to him. But I haven't read it, but you, you, know the, you know the story well. The one angel that came to the shepherds who were tending their flocks at night out in the fields. And it's a picture again of um, a people who were alert um, people who were working, people who were caring people, and the angel came to them. Again, we think, why them? Well, at that time, you could say, well, they were alert because they were working the night shift, <laughs> and they were, they were not sleepy, they were not going to imagine this was a dream or, a, or some uh, strange happening that the they weren't really alert to. These were people who were out, they were looking after their flocks, they were worried about wild beasts taking the flock, so they're alert. And so when the angel came, there was no mistake, no misunderstanding. And they were given the privilege of hearing and seeing the glory of God. It's, you know, when the angel came down, that the glory of God shone around. It wasn't the glory of the angel. It was, I mean, whether the angels don't have any glory of their own. And that's, again, a very significant thing. It's all God's glory. If you're a messenger of God, it's God's glory that shines out. If you're trying to show off your own glory, it's not God's then. And people will just see, well, you know, he's a clever person who's uh, showing his worth it's nothing in comparison to somebody who stands up and talks about the Lord or shows the glory of God. And that is what this angel was doing, the messenger of God. And when he came, his light was God's light. And what he said was from God. So it was all about God. And I think there's a lot a big thing for us to appreciate and to learn in our service for God is that we are to show forth the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to show forth the glory of God, nothing of self, the importance of being emptied, like the angels. They're not there to say who they are and how important they are and why they've come and, and uh, how they got there. And I don't get into that. What was important for the, the, the shepherds to see was the glory of God. And it was what the angel said that mattered. And that he says to them, first of all, you know, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you joy. And it's not just for you, it's for all the people. Um, there has been born a saviour who is the Messiah. Now they all knew about the Messiah because they'd been waiting for him. They knew that as a people, most of them would have been well aware of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, but complacency would have set in and doubts set in exactly the same as today. Things that we know, we get crowded out with other things. But the angel came and then as if that wasn't enough, then they get a multitude of angels just to back them up. <laughs> and to have this song from heaven that cries out glory 
to God in the highest. I think I often um, recall, I think it was John Archibald speaking about trying to paint a picture of uh, what was happening in heaven just before the Lord Jesus gave up his glory. And uh, I mean, it's conjecture, of course, uh, that the angels would have had little discussions amongst themselves and saying, you know, have you heard that the, the Lord Jesus is going down to earth? Somewhere down here, <laughs> tiny little place, and he's going to be born in some woman that never heard of before. You, you know, you can see the picture that can be painted about it all, and that's nothing like what it was actually like. They, they were glorifying God. There was such rejoicing and such a feeling of elation that was coming from God through the angels to this marvelous event that what was happening here was the salvation of mankind. And that was no little thing. That was something that was way, way beyond importance in <laughs> uh, anything else that could happen in mankind's life. There is nothing more important than the birth of Christ. I know you could talk about the death of Christ, but I mean, the, the, you have to have the birth first. It was necessary for him to come here. And therefore, when the time came, when the appropriate time came, that was the most glorious thing. And of course, the angels are reflecting how God felt about it. And God was jubilant. God the Father was jubilant that what had happened here was all part of the plan of the Godhead. And here it was taking starting, born of the Virgin in a stable, the outside place, wrapped up and put in a feeding trough. And that was important because that's the setting. This is the setting of the Son of God, who was the Son of Man, who was the Redeemer, who was the Saviour. And this is how it has to start from the lowly point. No help from anything of this world. No step up, no assistance. He's coming to do the will of God totally by the will of God. The, the, the um, shepherds, of course, were, they were watching. They were abiding and they were doing their own job. And again, there's a teaching there for us that um, in our own natural pursuits in life that we have to do is that God can reveal his glory to us, whatever we do. Um, the shepherds were just ordinary shepherds doing their ordinary daily job. They were protecting the sheep that was their day job that was their night job that was their living and God came to them that is something that I think we need to learn in our own lives that um, we don't decompartmentalize our Christianity uh, that uh, God speaks to us 24-7 uh, we don't have to be on our knees in prayer we don't have to be sitting down with our Bible open for God to speak to us um, we can be in our daily pursuit of work that God can reveal himself 
in many different ways, and I'm sure many of you will have experienced that already. Uh, it's not something that we should be surprised about, but something we should be open to. And that the shepherds were alert. They were maybe they weren't alert to what was going to come from heaven, but they were alert to what was on around them. We need to be alert in our lives and uh, alert to the fact that God can appear to us and speak to us and guide us and direct us in our lives. When the, the angel said to them, it was a sign to them. Um, I think it's again all about the message that there was a responsibility given to these uh, shepherds. First of all, they had to be alert to receive what they, they, they did. They then had to act on it. They had to go and they had to physically see it for themselves. So they were um, assured. Uh, they had the confirmation. And then the third thing was, it wasn't just for them. They needed to tell others. And um, they did that. It's funny, we don't read any more about them. <coughs> um, again, did they become followers of the Lord 33 years later? We don't, we have no, we don't know. Uh, maybe it was something they just went away and enjoyed. Did they keep going back and seeing how this baby was getting on? But then they would have been a long way away because the Lord was brought up in Nazareth. And so maybe it was just something they harboured. But it was something, first of all, they were given to, to tell others. Important last point, really, was about Mary. That, you know, they, the Catholic religion particularly, they revere Mary because of the, her calling. Uh, way beyond uh, what it, she should be. But she was given an important role to play. And here it says that she treasured these things in her heart. When, she, the, when these shepherds came and they, they worshipped, they glorified, they told them undoubtedly what they had seen and what they'd heard. And they were looking at this baby and they were marvelling. And she was keeping this in her heart. And I think it's lovely to, to think that, you know, she didn't rush around telling her neighbours about, you know, how privileged she was or how important her child was and how much better he was than everybody. It was just, she held it in her heart. And it was also, you read about it in the next chapter when they were later on, when the Lord was 12, that when they, he got lost in the temple and they found him and he said, do you not realise I need to be about the things of my father? The response from Mary was that she treasured these things in her heart. And she was just taking it in. And she was, it was making it real. It was hers, between her and the Lord. And that, again, is a lovely way in which we should be reflecting on personal experiences, uh, personal revelations that we get um, from God. Um, as we are meditating, just to be able to store these things in our heart as well. So there's a time to, like the shepherds, you need to tell others 
because it's important that others know. But there's times when it's personal and it's just between you and the Lord. And that's important as well. And it's just knowing when we apply both of these, when we should speak out and when we just meditate on them and glorify God in our hearts. Shall we pray?